Dear Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would bless this time in your word, that you would uh, speak to us, Father. Uh, we do need to hear your voice. We do need your discipline, Father. We need to be strong. Father, give us the faith to follow after you. And I pray that you would speak to us through your word today as only you can, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I've been uh, really enjoying going through Luke. And it's amazing. I, you teach so many times through the Gospels and you pick up different themes and different threads through it. And uh, one of the things I've been saying that we've seen in Luke is that it's a, it's a wake-up call. And I do see the world is slumbering and asleep. And especially when Jesus is showing up, he's seen that Israel was asleep and slumbering. Uh, they weren't aware of spiritual things that were happening. And, and it's almost as if you see that there's a, a spiritual world around you and the life of the Spirit is moving and, and changing. And yet so many people, they're immune to it. They're blind to it. They, they don't want to be spiritual people. They want to exist almost as if they're merely animal, just as flesh with no spirit. Uh, we want to be people that are tuned into this dimension, this, this power, this source of life that is around us. And we want to start to, to, to understand what the kingdom of God is about. And Jesus is trying. He's trying to shed the, the veil, remove the scales. And I loved it when, when Jesus uh, was sitting down there and uh, calling Peter. And here's Peter that's just a fisherman and Jesus walks up and he wanted to use the boat to speak to the multitudes that were there. And after speaking on the uh, sermon on the, uh, well, he's out there on the lake there and he's given this whole message. After, after he delivers the message, he goes out to Peter and he says, Peter, why don't you go on out and fish a little more in the deep? Throw your nets out there. And you can almost see Peter as Peter was saying, oh, come on, we fished all night, we caught nothing. Fishermen fish at night. The fish that we want are nocturnal or whatever. They're out at night. Why go out in the middle of the day? And Jesus says, go on, do it. And I love that. Peter says, at your bidding. And so Peter throws the net out there and then shazam, they get the huge catch of fish. And if you would, and I liked that analogy where he said, you know, it's like when you're out on a boat on the water, we were talking at the time, it's like there's a whole other dimension underneath you as you're underneath the boat. You, you, you don't know where the fish are. And Jesus has like that radar that can tell you where the fish finder is to say there's a whole school of fish right here, right underneath you. And for Peter or the man up on the boat, you go, how do you know what's going on underneath you? How do you see all this stuff, Jesus? Me and my professionalism, my trained eye, my experience, it would tell me there's nothing there. And if you would, it's, it's this whole realm that's around us that we seem to be blind to. And Jesus wants to awaken us so that we can perceive into the things that are right there in front of us. He wants to take his disciples and he's saying, wake up and see things through different eyes than you're used to looking at things. We, we with the natural mind... The human mind, we, we look and we calculate and we have to start to learn as Christians that that's not the true reality. The things that you see and perceive through the flesh is not reality. Reality is the spiritual kingdom which God wants to bring us into. He wants us to be adept at working with the spiritual things. 
Jesus is training and discipling us and his disciples as we're going through Luke. He's wanting us to see certain things. And we come to another classic example of Jesus. It says, verse 22, it says, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples out on the lake again. And he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. They listened to his voice. They had the right response. Jesus said, let's go. They went. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water. Anybody in a boat says that's not a good sign when you're taking on water. And they were in jeopardy. Not on the game show, but they were, you know, in trouble. (laughs) And they came to him and they awoke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing! Help us! And so what they're saying is they're going down. Notice as they're looking at things in their own perception... And notice, if you would, there's almost a contradiction of terms there. They're going, Master, Master. They're recognizing Jesus as Lord, as the guy in charge. But obviously they're saying, if we're perishing, then you made a mistake. You failed, Jesus. So, hey, you're in charge, but you made a mistake. And they're coming to Him from their things that they perceive. And they're going, it's the end. It's over with. We're going down hard. It's all falling apart. So almost Jesus, He wakes up, He arose, and He... He rebuked. To rebuke means to say, Yeah, quiet! He rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased. And there was calm. But he said to them, he goes, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled. And they were saying to one another, who can this be? Check out this guy. I, I mean, the disciples, they're, they're taking their lives to a new level and they're saying, this blows my mind what this guy is capable of doing. We've been hanging around with this Jesus. We've seen some pretty impressive stuff. But to just go up into the midst of the storm and say, be still, be calm. And, the, and, the, and he says, for he commands even the winds and the water, the elements of nature are at his command and they obey him. There's a sense of obedience that Jesus can put the natural, the things of the nature in order. So obviously Jesus is giving a demonstration here. Obviously he's going to say that the spiritual realm supersedes the physical realm. That the physical realm is subject to the spiritual realm. Things we don't normally conceive. We normally look at the physical and we believe that to be the reality. And Jesus is demonstrating that the spiritual can overcome the things of the physical. It blew their minds. Jesus wants to take you on a journey. He wants you to understand this truth. And sooner or later, when you do come to that place, He wants your brain to be like blown away to say, I can't believe this. I, it, it, doesn't calc, it doesn't compute with me that this is the way things are supposed to be because everything I know in my whole life would say, you can't stop a storm. And yet, through the power of the Spirit... Jesus is telling us the storm. Mother Nature bows to the knees of Jesus. The earth itself 
And this is a beautiful illustration because so many times we believe that Jesus is asleep on the bottom, that things are out of control. We only look at the natural. And Jesus, as he's looking at this, he says, what are you talking about? What are you so worried about? The things that we are afraid of, that we are paranoid over, are things that are nothing to Jesus. And so if you would, God is saying that he's in control that he gave us, and I like this, the, the simple play on words is that Jesus said, look, I told you that we're to cross over the water. I didn't say we're going underneath it. And so you could sit down and says, Jesus' promise, his command was, we'll go over the water. We'll go over to the other side of the lake. We're not going down. And with that promise, they should have had the faith to believe in God's promises. So notice how this links together, verse 26. It says, Then they sailed through the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. So they're cruising across the lake now. They're going to come over to this other region outside of Israel. He says, And when they stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, So these guys running around naked. Nor did he live in a house. But this guy, he's so demon-possessed, whacked out of his mind, he's running around in the tombs. He's a maniac, if you would. When he saw Jesus, he cried out. So he sees Jesus, he cries out, he falls down before him with a loud voice. And he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. So here it is. Here's going to be another encounter, which is going to be a supernatural encounter, which is going to be something demonic. And it's interesting, I guess if you wanted to use the analogy of being above the water and below the water, for those that are below the water, in the spiritual realm, if you would, where we sometimes have a difficulty seeing, but below the water, those things that are down there know who's who and what's what. And I kind of like this, because here's this demon, and he clearly understands the power and the authority and exactly who Jesus is. He understands this. And and I find it amazing. He comes and he begs Jesus. He says, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I understand who you are as the Son of God. I understand that you have authority over me. And I understand that there's a place that you can torment me. They understand this. And so here's this guy whacked out of his mind. And when he sees Jesus, he's going to bow down to him. He's going to fall down before him. In verse 29, for he commanded, it says, giving some background here, that Jesus, when he he came in, he gave a command, an order, like a general. Sit down, shut up. For he commanded the unclean spirit, first off, to, to come out of the man. He casts out the demon. And it says, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. So this is what the people decided to do with him. They decided to lock the guy up because he's demon-possessed. But it says he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons into the wilderness. So keep this in mind that the townspeople were very 
were very familiar with this guy. They knew, they tried to control the spiritual realm that was whacked with this guy with a chain, with a jailhouse, by locking him up. And they're saying, that's how we're going to deal with it. And this guy says, no, the spiritual realm, even in the demonic, was stronger than the bonds and the chains that they, the people thought could hold them down. And I like this. Jesus, Jesus asked him, and he's saying, what is your name? And I, I find that interesting, and I don't want to go through the whole history of our church again, but at one point when our church was 10, 15 people, this was one of the things that split the church apart Probably one of the things that I got to be the pastor of the church and the other guy who started the church fell apart on because he started to name the demons. And as we're finding out, it's not the specific name of what this guy is that you have to go up and find the name of a demon. But obviously, Jesus is asking, he says, what's your name? What do people call you? How's that? How are you known? And I find that interesting that Jesus is asking the question, but he wants to say, how do people perceive you? How does, how does man understand the demonic world, the spiritual world? If the spiritual world's out there, there's good, there's bad. There's both sides of the spiritual world. It's just not all good. There's good things that can happen in the spiritual realm. There's bad things that can happen in the spiritual realm. It's a, a, a mode, a, a, a dimension, a, a, an area. And just as we have a physical battle sometimes, sometimes there's spiritual battles. And Jesus is asking, he says, Now, isn't it amazing how people perceive you? So he says, well, he said, my name's Legion. And a legion would be a, a group, a, 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 the French foreign legion would be a, a, an assembly, if you would. Uh, uh, that's just defining the word legion. He says, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss or the bottomless pit. So this legion, we're going to find out there could be a couple thousand demons inside this one guy that the demonic realm needs to inhabit a physical place, if you would. And as it's there trying to occupy and control a physical place, they're all occupying this one guy. And he's totally whacked out of his mind, if you would. And now the demonic realm is speaking, recognizing, and that they're begging, they're begging, please, 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 that he would not command them to go into the abyss or the bottomless pit, which if we understood, and there's a whole long sequence of theology in this but it's their final destination where jesus and if we read the book of revelation he sends the devil and his minions into the bottomless pit or the abyss they're going to be chained and locked up forever we can go into that however all that works at the proper time but they're begging he says now it says a herd of many swine biblical name for pig not sure if there's a difference between a swine or a pig, but uh, for all intents and purposes, that's a whole bunch of pig, a herd, was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that uh, he would not permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. 
It says, when the demons went out of the man and entered the swine. So, Jesus is going to cut them some slack and not throw them into the abyss. The demons then are commanded to go out of the man. Jesus is controlling them and they're going to enter the swine. So, when the swine get the demon, the herd, they ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. So, if you would you're seeing clearly that in the demonic realm, an evil spirit, when it preys upon an innocent, simple-minded victim as a pig, the pig goes insane. So that gives us a little bit of a flavor on what kind of load it is to bear a demon. Uh, If you and I would like to play with some demonic things, you could understand if you throw a demon into a pig, the pig just goes nuts. Look at this guy who has 2,000 of them inside of him, and he seems to bear it by just being crazy. It's almost a testimony to the level of man that is able to tolerate evil. Man seems to have a threshold to dance with the devil, and somehow or another, men seem to put up with it an awful lot easier than a pig. And so if you would, you're seeing that these pigs, for whatever purposes, Jesus is going to show some kindness to them. And uh, you're seeing the resilience of this man who had to bear this burden for so long. The burden is going to be relieved. Now, uh, you could argue, and there's different points of this illustration, you go, well, why was Jesus kind to the demons? Why didn't he just throw them into the abyss? He could have. And that's part of the whole story is that Jesus, you could argue, and I've heard the counter-argument to that, is that Jesus allows that because he knows that he has to be crucified and killed and he needs the demonic power to kill him in a certain sense so that he could be resurrected. So if he threw all the demons into the abyss and just dealt with it, then he would not be able to be crucified as the Son of God to redeem man. So... That's kind of a lame excuse on what's happening. But more so, sometimes God allows wicked things to happen because, in a sense, it's true that God wants to demonstrate His power over them. So if you could, let's just say uh, all these things happened where Jesus just took the guy, saw him, and just, you know, said, I be gone, devil, and all the... The demons just went down into the pits of hell and people didn't understand. They wouldn't have a visual effect to see the power of God over the demonic. And so Jesus is using, for instructional purposes, he uses evil sometimes so that we can see that he triumphs over evil. It's difficult to swallow why Jesus would be kind to a demon. But we're trying to say that there are things that you and I are blind to spiritually that if sometimes if we didn't get a chance to see physical things, i.e. pigs running down the hill and being slaughtered, then we would never understand at all any of the spiritual things. God wants us to start to see this guy that you thought was nutso and you just thought you'd lock him up. Jesus wants to demonstrate and says, 
He's not nutso. He's not, you know, crazy. He doesn't have some chemical imbalance. It's not some physical thing. There is a spiritual problem behind this guy. And we need to start to address the spiritual problems. And when we start to think like that and say, wait a second, there's some things going on here behind the scenes. There's things happening in a realm and a dimension that I can't understand. I need to start to turn around and start to address the spiritual. The truth of the matter is, is you and I, we would always trust the physical. We would always trust the physical if that's all we were left in because we're natural people. We're people of the flesh. We want to think in spiritual circles. And God is saying, get out of that. Wake up to the things that are happening. What do I have to do to demonstrate to you that there is so much more than the, the, the physical world around you? This guy, he's got problems that are demonic. Jesus is saying, I can control, I can dominate, and they will be subject to me. So it's an important illustration on what's happening here. Now see how this pulls together, verse 34. So it doesn't happen in a vacuum. People are watching. Verse 34 says, When those who fed them saw what had happened. So there's some pig herders. I'm not sure what a pig herder is called, but they're pig herders. The guys work in the farm. They saw what had happened. They're going to have a reaction and say, Wait a second, I've been... Spending my life raising these pigs. We're going to eat off of these pigs. This is how I make a living. My pigs just died. (laughs) They're kind of upset. Notice they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. So these guys are going to turn around and they're going to say, Hey, all my pigs just died. Maybe they're going to blame me. Maybe this Jesus guy shows up and just slaughters all my pigs with these demons all over the place. He shows up and my pigs are dead. He's going to go to the townspeople and he's going to wah, wah, wah. They're crying. Uh, I always think of that. There's the poor prodigal son. I wonder if he was out there saying, hey, I'd like to eat just what the pigs are eating. And, And I don't know. He was a pig worker too. But anyway, he says, when they went out to see, so the people come running out. When they went out to see what had happened, so here come all the people with their pitchforks and their little torches, and they're all saying, What's going on out here? Heard all our pigs died. And they came to Jesus. And all of a sudden, then they walk up to the scene. They found the man whom the demons had departed. So all of a sudden, they're looking at this, and they're going, Hey, that's the guy we chained up. That's the guy that's always caused problems. That's the neighborhood lunatic. And they said, look at him. He's sitting there at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed. This guy's actually got some pants on. And in his right mind, he's just sitting there like like an innocent child. And at that, at that, they became afraid. How did that happen? How did this lunatic? Well, that's the nut. That's the town whack job. We got it. How did that happen? And they go, this is intense. And now they're going to get the, the story. It says, verse 36, They also, who had seen it, told them, listen to this, by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. So the townspeople, or the pig watchers, were telling the townspeople, they're saying, we saw Jesus walk up to this guy, cast the demons, we saw demons leave them, go into our pigs, and kill our pigs. So there's evidence there. They're telling by what means... He who had been demon-possessed was healed. They understood and saw the spiritual realm starting to function 
And it scared him. What do you mean there's another whole realm right around me? I don't get that. That's not right. They wanted to be in the dark. It says, when the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes, so all the townspeople with their pitchforks, they, when they hear this, they turn around and says, Jesus, they asked him to depart from them. Hey, Jesus, I think we liked the pigs, and that was our income. It says, because they were seized and I think of an engine seizing that's locked up when it overheats and just fries the, their, their, their ability to move and it's just welded together. They were seized with great fear. That fear came upon them all to realize that there's a spiritual realm going on there. And so Jesus, he got into the boat and returned. And it's sad to see that, what an illustration. The people preferred the pigs, the pigs, and they wanted their pigs rather than to see this man be healed. Obviously, once again, there's another sub-theme that weaves through it. These people just didn't care about the guy. Same thing with the guy with a little withered hand. People just didn't care about him. They only wanted to start a fight with Jesus as he healed the guy. And I'm sure the guy's saying, what about me? What about this guy? He's saying, hey, what about me? Hey, aren't you happy that I'm set free from the bondage of 2,000 legions or legions of demons? And the truth be known is that people prefer to understand and know a world around them in the natural. And the truth be known, when we start to speak of the supernatural, it just scares people to death. It scares people to death. People want to have a Christianity that, uh, you know, you go to church, you pay your tithes, you... You feel good about yourself at the end of the day and you just go live your life. You know, church is just, you know, something you do. makes you feel good inside, a little warm fuzzy. Encountering Jesus is a walk in the spiritual that will show you things that can make you feel uncomfortable, make you feel a little bit out of your element. We sometimes have to say, Lord, I'm a little bit out of my element here when I'm talking to you. And when I get into the spiritual realm and I'm starting to just really worship things, and there are some demonic things, there are some weird things that happen, and we want to have a tendency to recoil and say, Jesus, can you just step back a little bit? I just want you to be you know, a comfortable Jesus at a distance and just go to church and just, you know, don't really have me think that there's you know, an angel on one side of me and a demon on the other. Don't have me think about that you know, somebody's over there and they could be demon-possessed. I don't even want to think about that. But Jesus is saying, hey, what do you want? You're going to push Jesus out the door so that you could stay in your comfort zone? Now, this is where it gets weird. He says, so the man, so this guy who says, okay, Jesus, I'm set free. Now, the man from whom the demons had departed, notice this, he begged him, please, 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 that he might be with him. <clears throat> Jesus, I just want to hang out with you. You changed my life. You know what? I'm sick of these people. I'm sick of the things. I want to get out of town. I want to start to walk with you, Jesus, and I want to come with you. But Jesus turns around and he says, Sorry, pal, you're not getting on the boat with me. Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house. You go home. You live with these people, these townspeople. And this is your message. He says, You tell what great things God has done for you. You go out there, you've got a witness and a testimony, you need to go do that 
And so this guy, he responds. He went his way. He proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And there's a great little play on words. Jesus says, go tell him what God has done. And he's saying what Jesus has done. Is Jesus God? Well, yeah, we believe so. But this guy seemed to intermix the two as well. And so it was that when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Now, I find this just amazing to see this guy, and, and he is begging to be with Jesus. And Jesus turns around and says, no, you're not coming with me. Now, isn't that a strange request? Here's this guy who says, look, I've been around these townspeople. They come out with me with, you know, pitchforks and, and torches. They, they lock me up. They chain me up. They think I'm the town wacko. This guy's saying, I think I've had enough of this city. Let's get out of Dodge. I'd like to hang out with you, Jesus. I want to be with you, Jesus. I could understand his heart. And Jesus is saying, no, you are a, a walking testimony of the power of God. These people need to see you on a daily basis so that they can understand that God changed you and that you're set free. And sometimes if we've been in the world and partied and played and been the town fool and sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and Jesus comes up and touches us, sometimes Jesus wants us to go back to the world that we came out of to say, Jesus set me free. That's a good ministry. That's a good thing for us to say, is to say, I want you to look at me. You knew who I was. You know how bad and how dumb I was. Now see how good and how changed I am. I want you to see Something that most people, oh, you know, Jesus changing people, you know, that's real oogity boogity, you know. No, 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 no. You take a good look at me. Did you know who I was before? Now you see who I am now. You can see that there's a change. Here's proof positive that God changes lives. Proof positive that the spiritual realm is real. A tangibility to the spiritual side by seeing the things that are there. So sometimes we can be very effective to go into our past. But notice, if you would, that this is what we're talking about, is that Jesus is putting, and I want to use the terminology, a call on this man's life. He's saying, here is your ministry. It's the people that you're there. This is what I have for you. And it's not what this man, listen, thought it would be. His logical conclusion for what just happened to him almost makes sense. Well, I'd want to hang out with Jesus more, don't you think? Jesus, you just did this powerful thing. I just want more of you. And God is calling. He's kind of the association would be to command this man to stay. Almost against his will. He wanted to do something else. Notice, if you would, I find it rather strange. This man begged Jesus. He begged Jesus to leave the people. I don't want to be here, man. Get me out of here, man. Please, get Jesus, please let me leave. Please. Jesus says, no, you're staying. Now, this is really ironic in the story that the demons had begged Jesus. Please don't send me to the abyss. Please don't send me to the abyss. I don't want to go down there. Now, if you read this story, it almost sounds cruel. Jesus is being rather cruel. 
It almost sounds like Jesus capitulated. He gave in. He appeased the demons. Okay, I'll be nice to you. You asked to be nice, I'll be nice to you. This guy, who's now a free believer, strong in Christ, understanding the spiritual realm, he's begging Jesus and saying, Jesus, please! No. No, that's not happening. Was Jesus kinder to the demons than he was to this guy? Have you ever had that feeling in your life? (laughs) That when God comes up and he commands things of you and I, we go, God, what are you doing with my life? This is not what I desire to do with my life. And you are commanding me to do the very thing I don't want to do. And if this is this man's calling, sometimes when we hear the calling of the Lord, we don't always get what we desire. God calls us. He speaks to us. These guys were begging to leave. Uh, He was begging to leave and Jesus says to stay. When we get a calling of the Lord, to receive a calling of the Lord, it's not according to our desires, but it's associated as a command that would give us direction and purpose in our life. It's, it's not always the how and why, but God speaks to us and He gives us direction and purpose. He wants to speak to you and says, I'm going to put a calling on your life. These are the people I want you to minister to. Well, I don't particularly want that, God. Now, isn't it strange? You could look at this and say, now, let's stretch out into a little bit deeper into into Scripture. And you can say, well, you know, there was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her. Well, granted, that's only seven, you know. But uh, this guy who had a legion and Mary Magdalene, she got to hang around with Jesus all through the whole process. She was right there weeping and crying for him and then right there at the foot of the cross, right there as part of the church when it was going. Mary Magdalene was very important. You go, well, how come Mary Magdalene gets to hang around with Jesus? She was demon-possessed. Now I'm demon-possessed and I'm set free with them and I've got to stay here to these people. Could be kind of strange. Jesus just doesn't have this set formula. Well, if you're demon-possessed, then you sit down and minister to a calling of God can be unique to you. It is not based upon a set of circumstances. What God chooses to tell you to do is just that. It's what He chose to tell you to do. Well, I want, I want, I, I want to do this. I want to do that. And God says, no. Sometimes when God calls us, He's asking us to do walk away from some of the things that we're comfortable with. Notice, if you would, the people desired to keep their pigs. Sometimes we have to walk out of our comfort zones and say, well, this was how I made my income. This is how I made my life. And Lord, I need to trust you. It's not always what we're comfortable with. And it's not always an easy path if we put the illustration of being on the boat and the boat taking on water and we have to sooner or later turn around and say, Lord, this isn't good. You told us to go over to the other side. Now, Jesus, we're taking on water. This doesn't seem to be very good. There can be a time where we go through panic. Lord, we're going down! And 
we have to have a determination inside of us to say, No, Lord, I'm going to listen to your voice. It may not be easy. It may not be comfortable. It may not be what I desire. But I understand, Lord, that if you're in it, then that's what I want it to be. When you and I, when we do receive the voice of the Lord, a calling, a calling in our lives, it's almost like, you know, you're answering, uh, someone gives you a phone call, says, hey, you're, you're now, you're hooked up, you've got a line, you're, you're now communicating with God. You're now listening to the voice of God. And God can speak to you and tell you and commission you to give you a direction and He can put desire in your heart so that you would have strength to sit down there and to, and to follow the will of God. Now, it's interesting. There's a lot of things that can work in your life. And you say, well, gee, Dave, you know, how do you know when you hear the voice of the Lord? How do you know when God's telling you something? You know, you could say, did God call you to be a, a father? Did God call you to... Well, of course, I have children. Well, God didn't call me and says, I just really desire to be a parent. My desire was to smooch a blonde. <laughs> and the result of hugging and snuggling with this cute little blonde made me a parent, and all of a sudden what my desires were led me to changing diapers. And I go, how did this happen, God? Now, now I have a responsibility to be a parent, and I love my children, and I care for each and every one of them, but would I say, well, well, this is your calling, you're a father. And I'd go, well, I don't know, but I'd call that a calling. Uh, 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 I'm in this situation, and I got here through a strange set of circumstances to arrive at this point, but this is where I know I need to be. And that sometimes works in our life, that things happen through strange sets of circumstances, but that's not necessarily God calling us. Sometimes there's things in our life where we can say, well, you know, my dad's an engineer. He, you know, designed bridges, and so, you know, I felt like I had the gifts and the talents, or I, I, I thought I should follow in my father's footsteps, and so I'm doing something because of a pattern that I felt that I had to be obligated to fulfill. And you could say, well, I'm an engineer. I build bridges because my dad built bridges because he, you know, his dad built bridges, you know. But that's, that's, a, that, that's a process that we sometimes fall into. Well, I just had to go to school. I had, I had to figure out to do something. Did you, I always hated that question when you're growing up. What are you going to be when you grow up? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't thought about it. I'm just trying to get through the eighth grade. Leave me alone, you know. <laughs> Worry about that bridge when we get to it, you know. There's certain, there's certain gifts that people have. You know, if, if you're building bridges and the dimensions call for 54 bags of concrete to be thrown into such and such a spot, if you're to be a... An architect, an engineer, you'd be really picky to say that 54 bags. To me, I'd go, well, 50 is good enough, you know. <laughs> and so 20 years from now, the bridge is falling apart. People go, who built that thing? Somebody not called to be a designer because he was sloppy with his numbers or whatever. And there's certain things about being meticulous, certain things you have to understand that are gifts and callings for what and why you're doing things with your life. 
But please bear in mind that when God calls you, this is very important as a Christian, you have to be able to discern and understand the voice of the Lord. And when God speaks to you, He's going to tell you something that may contradict certain things that you feel and think and understand, but you have to be able to say, no, I know and I believe what God said to me. He told me to stay. He told me to cross over. And then that gives you a level of determination in your life so that you can live your life according to His Word. So, you can look at this and say, well, you know, there's, there's certain people that as they go into life, they encounter problems and tribulations, and those problems and tribulations can cause you to wonder whether or not you've heard correctly, and there can be doubt in your mind. Bad thing. You don't want to be in the midst of a battle and say, did I do the right thing? Should I be here? Is this my battle? We are kind of following a little bit of the shadow of John the Baptist here. John the Baptist who stood up and said, Behold the Lamb of God. I believe God's told me. I just heard the voice. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And yet in his life he was able to say as he's in jail, Did I do the right thing? Hey, go go ask that Jesus. Are you really the Messiah? Because I'm stuck in jail. See how circumstances altered his opinion? Bad. We should say, regardless, I know what the Lord told me. I heard the voice of God come down from heaven. Put yourself on another boat. Paul the Apostle at the end of the the book of Acts. God told him, said, you need to go to Rome. Paul told, God told him, says, you've got to go to Jerusalem first. And as you're in Jerusalem, they're going to beat you. And they're going to be, you know, bound up and gagged. You're going to have some problems. But as he's there going through the thing, an angel appears to him and says, you know what, Paul? You're going to make it. You're going to make it to Rome. I want you to preach in front of Caesar. So look what Paul was able to endure. They beat him. They got a plot of 40 guys out to kill him. And he goes, I don't care. He goes out on the boat. He's out on a ship. They're taking on water. Fourteen days in the dark, the Iroquiro, whatever it is, the, the, this big storm comes through. These weird winds are sitting there ripping them all apart. They're out there. Fourteen days of starving to death. They throw all the tackle over the thing. There's 273 guys or something on this boat. And Paul says, God is going to get me to Rome and every single one of you. I don't care how much water we're taking on. I don't care if we're shipwrecked in the middle. It doesn't matter. God will sustain us because he heard that God told him that he was going to go to Rome. And if he dies now, well, that would make God a liar. And God's not a liar. And if he said, I'm going, I'm going. And so here you have Paul who can say, hey, I can take on all the storms, all the torments, all the misery, because I know, I know that I know that I know that I've got God speaking to me and telling me that this is what's going to happen in my life. Therefore, I can disregard all the other information in my life. I can disregard if I'm starving to death and it looks like we're all going to die and even the captain of the ship says that we're going to die. I don't care. We're going to live. Now, how can you have that determination unless you know that you know that you know God's calling is in your life? As a Christian, you have to have some ability to discern whether or not God has called you to be a Christian.
you are disoriented, lost and confused as a believer if you don't know the voice of the Lord and that God has spoken to you. Oh, pastor, you're talking about all that weird oogity-boogity stuff. What do you mean I have to hear this voice? Am I supposed to be driving down the car and God comes over my radio station and tells me that this is what's going to happen? How do I have this? Where does it come from? What's supposed to go on? Well, Christian, uh, you need to have your spirit in tune with God's spirit and through His spirit to your spirit, it will speak to you. Whether it be the still, small voice, whether it be you're driving down the road and the road sign comes to you, something's going to click in your spirit to say that this is God's will for you. This is God's plan for you. God wants to take you and give you a purpose and direction. I can't foresee a situation where God is going to leave you clueless on what to do with your life. God doesn't leave you guessing and in the dark. It does take faith when circumstances may go against it Jesus said, where's your faith? Don't you know that I'm going to take care of you? But as we who have heard the command of Jesus to stay, to go, to go to the other side, to minister to these people at what time and at what place, and the Lord wants to speak to us, that becomes our lifeblood that we can overcome all the other tribulations and says, I will be determined to live this way. So it's huge, Christian. It's huge that you have some type of ability to discern what is happening in the spiritual. A Christian that's clueless on the spiritual realm (laughs) is like a duck that doesn't know what water is. It it, it just doesn't make sense. And I'm telling you, the body of Christ is plagued with Christians that are paranoid of the spiritual. It strikes against our very flesh by design so that we would be able to say, Lord, I want to listen to your voice. I need to understand that there's other things happening in this room besides the things that I can see with my eyes, hear with my ears, but there's things that I can perceive with my spirit. And so we need to, I'm telling you, if you don't have the voice of the Holy Spirit, you are going to be confused without direction And you'll be second-guessing every single thing you do with your life. God told me to stay here. Oh, did he really tell me to stay here? I'm here. Now all of a sudden they're beating me up and throwing me back in jail again. Is this what God wants me to do? Well, God wants me to be here, so I'm going to stay. You wrestle constantly. And the one solid thing that we have in our life is that we know that God has spoken to us. And we say, Lord, I want to know that. I want to get rid of the confusion in my life. And when we have something in our lives, we need to know we're going to stay with it. Romans 11.29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God is irrevocable. When God calls you, He doesn't take it back. When God gives you a gift, He doesn't take it back. We stand on those things. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches and the glory of His inheritance in the saints? Peter, the fisherman, tells us in 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling in choosing you. 
Can you hear Peter say that? He's saying, I want you to be diligent. You work hard. You work hard to make sure that you understand that God has called you. Because Peter understands without that assurance in your life of knowing the voice of God in your life, you're clueless. You're going through life and you have no idea what you were designed and built for. Christians are designed and built to be in the spiritual realm. They understand and perceive things. They're not going to get swayed by things. And they understand the power of the obedience to the command of the Lord. And the Lord's not going to send us on a path that's going to destroy us. And even if we're taken on water, even if we're going down, we're going to say, thus says the Lord, he's taking care of me. And inside of us comes that ability. And it comes down to a very weird, strange, ambiguous art of understanding the voice of God. I wish I could give you a formula for it, but there's no formula for it. I wish I could say that whenever God speaks to you, your toes will tingle and you'll know that you just have heard the voice of God. When God speaks to you, the hair is on the back of your head and you'll just cry and say, I know that God spoke to me. I can't say that. When God speaks to me, he just shows me by a billboard sign whenever I'm driving down the road. You think I'm a fruitcake. And yet God wants to speak to you in such a way to give you assurance so that you can have one lifeline. Sometimes the only lifeline God's going to give you is his calling that you have to say, Lord, I'm going to be determined to go through this. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to lose faith in you, Lord. I need to be determined to stay with you. For us to be Christians, to be aimless, to be wandering, to be without direction is wrong. For we need to be called and not to be confused. Jesus doesn't birth us and then abandon us. He called us to be His children. He doesn't throw us out there so that we could be lost and confused. He gives us a lifeline. That lifeline is His command that we hold to at all costs. And so sometimes, you're right, it goes against uh, whether we have desires for things. It goes against a lot of our natural ability. But it comes down to that ability to say, Lord, I'm holding on to You. And so we're going to partake of communion. It's the first Sunday of the month. We want to take communion and say, Lord, look at the example you have given us in Christ Jesus, who was able to say, go ahead, put three nails in me, string me up, and kill me. But God said, I'm going to be resurrected and I'm going to go against every grain of fiber in the natural to allow myself to die so that we can see the life of, and the power of resurrection. Communion is the very essence of saying spirituality supersedes the physical. And Lord, I need to listen to your voice here and now. Amen? Amen. If those guys want to come forward and pass out the elements at this time. Just to listen and say, Lord, I need to listen to your voice. And if you're here and it sounds almost like I'm speaking a foreign language and you seem dazed and confused to understand what God is, all I can tell you is that God wants to speak to you. I don't care if you're alone on, a foreign, or on an island all by yourself. I don't care the things that have been thrown at you. 
if we bend a little from last week's sermon, we said the difference that makes the disciples from the rest of the world is that the disciples who were students of Christ were people that were faithful to ask. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. Sometimes we ask and we don't receive because we ask amiss. And what we want to be able to do is to simply, if you're confused on your direction and purpose, is to ask the Lord and to say, Lord, have you called me? Have you chosen me? Am I one of yours? Jesus, I want to know your voice and your calling. That's fair to ask. And I believe the Lord will respond and to speak to you. Maybe here today, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. Maybe we just need to wait. But God will give you a sense of peace about the direction that He wants you to take with your life so that you can say as a believer, and every foundation of a believer is to say, Lord, I know that You've called me. I know that I'm one of Your children. So ask the Lord. Heavenly Father, we do see Jesus at the cross. We see Him, Father, taking His body in heaven, His body broken. The ship was taking on more than water, Father. And yet He had faith to believe in You. I pray, Father, that we as Your children could hear Your voice to know the direction and the calling that we have. Father, I pray that we would lay down our flesh, the natural way of perceiving the spiritual things, and that we, Father, could seek and to serve you. We thank you, Father, that you have placed our sins upon Jesus and that he bore the price, Father, of a wicked, evil world and that, Father, his body was broken for you and I, us here as a church. Father, we partake of this bread remembering that we should lay down our desires, our wants, and to seek You. That we would acknowledge our sins, Father, and trust in something beyond the natural but in You. Father, we take this remembering that Christ died on the cross as we partake this bread, Father. Father, I pray, Father, that Your Spirit, the life-giving Spirit, would speak to our hearts as we partake of this cup, Father. The blood would wash us and cleanse us, invigorate us, Father. We need the fruit in our lives. I pray, Father, that You would touch us and heal us as only You can, Father. But most of all, Father, speak to Your children. Help us to get through this world. Help us to understand that there is so much more than the things that the eye and the ear and the mind can perceive. We want that spirit, Father. And as we partake of this cup, Father, fill us with your spirit. Touch us as only you can, Father. We're your children. 
Father, we partake of this cup with a thankful heart to know that our sins are forgiven, that you've washed us, that you've called us to be your own, and that we would hear your voice, Father. We drink this cup asking, Father, for your spirit to fill us in Jesus' name. Father, we do thank you for being an awesome God, for working in our hearts and our lives and our minds. I pray, Father, that this church would be determined and strengthened to go forward. I pray, Father, for those that are lost and confused here today, Father, that are asking questions, that are screaming for an answer, that you, Father, would, would touch their hearts. If it means they have to come forward for prayer, if it means that they have to listen and to just be patient, Father, I pray that you would speak to your church. We're desperate for your words, Father. We're desperate, Father, for your touch. We're desperate, Father, for the things that you have to offer us. Father, please, Father, just continue to move. You have been a a loving, caring, giving God. You have a track record of your grace and your mercy. Father, help us to testify of the great things that you have done through us. We thank you and we praise you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.